Wow, what an intro. Thank you, uh, Pastor Vindo. Before we get started, please, will you join with me in prayer? Lord, um, this is your place. This is your time. This is your house. This is You have brought every single person who is here. You've brought them here, and you've brought them for a reason. I pray, Lord, that you will help us to be engaged tonight. I pray, Lord, for the youth and the youth leaders who are completely smashed, that you will just give them the coffee in their veins to be able to, to hear your word and your truth. I hear the challenge for them. And, Lord, I pray that you will um, speak to all of us and bring to our minds as we hear this sermon what we need to pay attention to and allow us to apply it to our lives. And, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm trash. My voice is trashed. It's been a big week. Um, but you are good. And you are great and you are mighty. Speak through me as an empty vessel this week. Speak through me tonight, I pray. In your name, amen. I want to I talk about a book that my kids have. I have three kids, Grace, Sam and Josh. Um, and, and they love it, used to love this book. The book is called Inside, Outside, Upside Down. Now, it's about a bear. The bear is inside a box. And the box is outside, the box is upside down, hence the name of the book, Inside, Outside, Upside Down. Now, I mention this um, because as I was thinking about what it means to be a Christian, as I was thinking about what it means to be all in, I kept getting drawn back to this book. And not the content of the book so much. For the book itself is about a bear who lacked adult supervision, who put himself in a box, basically got accidentally kidnapped, put on a truck. The truck went to the big city. He fell off a moving truck. He survived, okay. Then he walked all the way back home by himself. Yeah, not about the content. (laughs) But rather about the title. See, as I think about faith and as I read the Bible, What I think God tells us is that we need to worry about the inside before the outside and to do otherwise is upside down. Let me expand. I was reading a series of books for Bible College one year um, and the books are by a guy called John Brian Smith and it's a series of the Jesus Apprenticeship. Um, and, And you can see the good and beautiful God, the good and beautiful life, the good and beautiful community. But what he does throughout this series is he talks about these issues of what it means to be a Christian. Um, Things like forgiveness and grace and generosity and unity. But he doesn't talk about them as a list of things to do, legalistic. He doesn't tell you you need to do better at this. But what he does is say, look at what Jesus has done for you. Believe that and then that then emanates out of you. Give me, I'll give you an example. Um, Jesus, we were talking about it last night in, in uh, the camp. Uh, we are to love everybody. We did it through the parable of the Good Samaritan. We need to love all. But we do that because Christ first loved us. When I realize and understand and embrace the love that the Almighty Savior has for me, that fills my heart with an overwhelming desire, therefore, to love other people as a result of that. We are to be generous. But we are to be generous because we have a generous God who is good to us. We're on this youth camp and it's raining basically the whole time and no one cared because God is good. Um, we are told to, be, uh, to forgive other people um, even when they do wrong against us. And we can do that out of a realisation and understanding that we are first forgiven. 
we forgive them because Christ forgave us. And we are to be united, but we are to be united as a body because Christ has united us as the head of the body of the church. We are united under him. So I'm not, I'm a different denomination and it doesn't matter because we all have the one guy. We are united because of Jesus. Everything that we are told to do comes from him. And we need to get that first. We need to understand that first. We need to embrace those truths into our life and then the behavior will follow. And then the outside of the cup will get clean. So then where do I get this from? Well, I get it from the passage. Let's look at it again. Matthew 23, 25. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence, blind Pharisee. First, clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Now, this is the fifth of the seven woes that Jesus speaks to the Pharisees, who were religious leaders at the time. They were the guys who studied the Old Testament law in detail and had pushed and basically added on top of the Old Testament law all these little laws that they expected and made other people to follow. One of the laws that they pushed was there was this massive theological debate about the cleanliness of ceremonial utensils, like the cup and the dish. The question was, what needs to be cleaner? Should the inside of the cup be cleaner or the outside of the cup be cleaner? And people wrote the the old school version of essays and and, PhD theses on this, on the minutia of this. And Jesus is going, you got it wrong. See, the, the cup itself, it's not about the, the, the details. It's not about the external. It's about the internal. It's not about the cup. It's about your heart. It's about where you are with God. Its cup was a vessel for drink. The plate was a vessel for food. But what it contained inside was dirty because the Pharisees. The Pharisees were dirty. They were corrupted by their greed and their self-indulgence. And as a result, they were contaminating everyone else because of it. The Pharisees were meticulous with the outside things. They were meticulous with the things that people could see. You from the outside would think that they were perfect and great with God because that is what they were trying to do. They weren't living for God. They were living for themselves. Everything they did was so that you would look at them and go, wow, aren't they amazing? But their hearts were far from God. And the way they responded to Jesus showed that. We need to work on the inside before the outside. Anything else is upside down. I um, I cooked the other week. <laughs> uh, I'm, a, I'm a white guy. I'm a dad and I cooked. So obviously um, it went well. Uh, the way, thing that I cooked, I thought we, we were at home. I was with the kids. Uh, I thought I would t- uh, t- like do grilled ham and cheese toasties, right? Because that's cool. That's nice. It's better than a normal soggy sandwich. Let's do that. And so I did. Um, and, and I cooked it. And, and, and th- this was the result. Um, it, it, that looks nice, right? Oh, no, no, it's nice and it's soft. You can just almost feel the softness in that picture. Um, the little problem with that is that that, that was the, not the truth. That this was the other side of it. I burnt that thing to a crisp. The house filled up with smoke. My kids were running around going, alert, alert, alert. We're all going to die. No, it's okay. It's, we're not going to die. Dad just shouldn't be cooking. <laughs> um, so you look at one side of it and you go, it's great. That's like no problems. Fantastic. But then you look on the other side and say, whoa, that is dirty. 
And that is what I think we can sometimes be. Yeah? We can be Sunday Christians. We present our best on a Sunday. We get dressed up. We even shower. You know, we clean our teeth. We look nice, put on perfume. Guys, not for you. Um, We do that. And and so that people will say, well, that's a good Christian. And you might do the right things. Oh, the bag's passing by. I've got to put, or at least prepare to put something in it. Uh, oh, look, people are hanging around outside. I'll hang around outside so people will think that I'm a good Christian. I'll bring my Bible, even though I don't open it at all during the rest of the week. I'll bring my Bible to church so people think I'm a good Christian. And we live our lives for the outside when the inside is dead and the inside is far from God. We need to work on the inside rather than the outside. And a key part of this is because God, God sees our heart. I, um, I have an ant in my computer. Now, that sounds weird, but it's actually true. There, I don't know how it happened, uh, but at my computer at home, if we go to the next slide, um, on, oh, yeah, no, that's a good point. Let's go there. Um, <laughs> I love it when I, the sound guy's going, no, Michael, you've got it wrong. All right, so let's go back to the verse, verse 27 to 28. Uh, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. He really pushes it up a notch, doesn't he? It's like he was pretty rough before, but now he's got the bazooka going, boom, take that. And it's harsh and it needs to be harsh because it was the truth. They were like dead men's bones. Well, let's push this a little bit deeper. What he's referring to is during the month of Adar, before the Passover, what they would do is it was customary to whitewash with lime graves uh, on grave sites. Now, this was so that people could tell that they were graves. See, in Passover time, a whole heap of people would come to Jerusalem. But if a person touched a grave, that would make them ceremonially unclean and they would not be able to participate in the Passover meal. So they whitewashed these tombs so that people would avoid them. And Jesus is saying, you are just like them. You are pretty on the outside. And many of the Pharisees would wear white linen robes to show off their specialness so that people would think they were attractive, so people would think they're they're closer to God. And Jesus is saying, you're like a dead, rotten stench of a corpse inside. And what's what's worse is that you are contaminating everybody else as a result of that. Jesus goes harsh because he needs to go harsh. But the problem is then we read that and sometimes Jesus needs to be harsh to us. Are we like this? I can't answer that question for you. But it is a question that you need to ask for yourself. And again, the question is where is your heart at with God? What's your inside like? We need to work on the inside before the outside. Anything else is upside down. So now let me go to my ant. Um, so I have this computer screen, right? Um, and, and the ant is literally on the inside of my computer screen. I have no idea how he got there. And to be honest, like he didn't just walk in and walk out. No, he walked in and died. Like that's just, 
That's just inconvenient, bro. That's not right. And he didn't die on the edge of a corner. Like, smack bang in the middle every time. Like, I'm trying to read the news and, ah, scroll the darn ant. Um, now, if I wanted to get rid of that ant, right, um, do you guys know gumption? Is that a white guy thing? Yes, the white person says yes. Okay, so, <laughs> sorry, but, but gumption is this magical powder, right, or paste. And what you do is gumption can get rid of anything. Like if I had permanent marker and I wrote it on the wall, gumption would get rid of that. Gumption is magic. But if I got my cloth and I got some gumption on my cloth and, and I put it on my computer screen and I rubbed really hard, it doesn't matter how awesome gumption is, and it is, you should try some, um, it wouldn't do anything. Because I can scrub and scrub and scrub on the outside, but the inside is still dirty and it still has an effect. And that is us. Often with our sin, what we try and do is we scrub on the outside and we make it so that no one will notice. And we'll make it so that, you know, well, as long as uh, I, I look good for Pastor Vindo, so he doesn't pull me up on it. And, and as long as I'm okay with my Christian friends and I don't put anything dodgy on Instagram because then they might hold me accountable. As long as I'm presenting good, then that's okay. Well, it's not okay. And then the other aspect of this is that we have this sin in our life and we want to deal with it. But we deal with it by trying harder. Trying harder doesn't work. Have you ever had like uh, gone up to someone um, and said, dude, I'm, I'm really struggling uh, with this anger issue. I just get angry at people. And, and the person has gone, yeah, yeah, you just got to try harder. Yeah, just don't do it. Okay, cool. It's good stuff. Like, what? That doesn't work. See, and the other part of this is that trying harder leads to legalism, right? So I just got to go and do and do and rules and laws and my identity then becomes a part of that. The problem with legalism is it leads to two things. When I'm doing it well, it leads to pride. Yeah, boy, I'm nailing my sin. I'm smashing it out here. Oh, yeah, I got sin, but it's done, man. I'm sweet. Yeah. (laughs) And in that scenario, God gets no glory because I did it. And then when it goes wrong and then when it goes bad, And it will because you can't get rid of sin by yourself and you will have bad days and then you're like, oh man, I screwed up again. I got angry at this little girl. She was annoying me. I'm so bad, man. I don't even know if I'm a Christian anymore. Man, this sucks. See, legalism, trying harder leads to either pride or to despair and neither are what God has died on the cross for because you can't do it by your own and you can't do it by scrubbing the outside. You need to work on the inside. So then how do we do it? That's a, that's a great question. The first aspect here is we need to work on our heart. Is our heart in the right place with God? Is our heart purely searching and seeking after him? Is our heart putting him first? And there's this passage in uh, 1 Samuel 16, 7. Um, I'll read the passage and I'll tell you what it means. The Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The context is Samuel has gone to anoint the king. Saul is screwing up and so God has told Samuel to anoint another person. And he said, look, it's going to be a son of Jesse. So he goes to the sons of Jesse. And Jesse, man, he he lines his sons up basically from, from the oldest to the youngest. And his first son, man, he was a prime specimen. He was built, he was tough, and he was beautiful. He was a handsome man. And so Jesse's like, surely this will be the guy. And Samuel's like, surely this will be the guy. So he goes up to the, the oldest son and, and God says, nah. 
And he goes, well, okay, well, I'll go down the line. And the second guy, like, he's not bad. He's all right. He's still relatively built and he's still relatively attractive. And, she, and, and God says, nah. And he goes down and down and down the line. And it's like, no, 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 no. And so Samuel's like, what do you mean, God? These are good, strong men. These are good Jewish boys. What are you talking about? And suddenly there's no boys left. And Samuel turns to Jesse and goes, dude, like, well, God doesn't make mistakes. Do you have another son? And Jesse goes, well, yeah, I I do. But he's kind of like the runt of the litter. Like he's my youngest boy. And I didn't think you'd really want to have anything to do with him. He's out in the pastures looking after my sheep. And Samuel's like, dude, go get your son. And David comes in and God gives that one. That's who I want. Because from an outwards perspective, you go for him, but God doesn't look at the outward. God looks at the heart. Do we have a heart for God? Like actually, like not just saying the right words, not just speaking Christianese, not just knowing the definition of penal substitutionary atonement because you know that gets you theological brownie points. Do you have a heart for God? Yeah? Does your heart beating for him and wanting to put him first in every aspect? Hosea 6 Uh, 6 puts it like this in the Living Bible Translation. I don't want your sacrifice. I want your love. I don't want your offerings. I want you to know me. And in a way that is God saying it to us. Now this comes from a larger passage uh, about how God's people are missing God's heart. Uh, and, And then doing the right thing but without the right heart. And doing the right thing without actually seeking God first. And God is like, no. That's not what I want from you. I want you first before you give me what you can. I want you first before you serve me. I just want you. I don't want your sacrifice. I want you. I'm married. Um, and I don't love my wife for what she can do for me. Um, and, and she does a great things for me. Like she is a, an awesome cook. Um, she keeps the house clean. She looks after our kids and she's a killer at children's birthday parties. She's awesome. But I don't want her for what she has to offer. I just want her. If she never cleaned the house again, if she never cooked again, we'd be eating burnt toasties. But And if we never did a children's birthday party again, I don't care. I just want her. I don't want what she can do for me. And that's not how I value her. I just love her. That's God with us. God wants you so much more than he wants what you can do. Is your heart right with God? Are you loving him first? So that's the first aspect if we're going to work on the inside, that we must have the right heart. The second aspect is that we might, must believe the right things about God. Um, uh, we're going to watch a short clip, okay? We'll watch this and then, then I'll come back and talk about it. Thanks, man. Let me know if it won't work, that's okay. Is that a no? That's a no. Okay, oh, no, cool. Ah, so some of you know it, cool. 
Okay, this is a game, an app that you play, and you have to put the scenes in the right order. Any escapes. All right, so in that game, basically you have a whole heap of scenes and you need to get it so that you have the right scenes in the right place in order to escape. Um, and I think we are the same as the church. We need to have the right priorities in the right order in order to live for Christ. What I'm talking about is this. Um, we as a generation are slightly different to our parents' generation. Now, for my parents' generation, they grew up with the Billy Graham Crusades, and there was very much this push that what you would do is that you would believe and then you would belong. You would believe first that Jesus is God, and then you would go and attend church. And there was very much this idea that you had to be right with him before you attended. But that is no longer what we do. As a modern culture, what we do is we reverse the two. We belong first. We come to a Christian community. We come to a church. We come to a World Cup finals day, and we see other Christians, and we experience the love of Christ through them. And as a result of belonging, we then believe. Yep, that's what happens. But that's not the end of the story. Because we belong, then we believe. And after we have believed, we then behave. The actions come after the belief. The actions come after the understanding of what God has done for you and filled you in so many ways. The actions come second. There is this uh, belief, um, Pastor Vindo has it, and I have it for my own church as well that I don't care who comes in that door. You can come in uh, with major sin in your life. You can come in and, and no one likes you on the outside world and we still want to accept you in this church and we still want to love you and we still want to show you care because you, we want people to come into the church as they are, not as we may want them to be. Because I know that the only thing that can change a person, the only thing that can get a person to actually deal with the root issues of their sin is God. I want to have that opportunity for them to come in so I get to preach to them and show them God so that then they might be different. So then God may may transform them. Yeah. So then we need to believe first and then behave second. And then that also works with us. When we are dealing with our sin, most of the time it points to something that we're not believing right. Um, let me put it a different way. I was at the camp and this girl was talking to me, man, um, this teenage girl. And she said, Michael, I'm just believing lies about myself. I don't think I'm worthy. And my heart broke. And I got really angry. I didn't get angry at her. I got angry at the lies that Satan had sold her. 
I got angry at the lies that she had incorporated into her self-identity and belief because they are wrong. There will be actions and ramifications in her behavior because of that belief unless she's able to take captive every thought of the evil one and get it out of there. You want to behave? Let's first believe. Let's first believe the truth and stop the lies and allowing them to come in. And what I am saying here kind of makes sense because it's also what psychology tells us. For example, if a person goes to a psychologist uh, with an eating disorder or an addiction to porn, the psychologist doesn't say to that person with, uh, with anorexia, well, you just need to eat more. Sweet, good, money, done. That's not how it works. What that psychologist does is go to the deeper issue that is causing that behavior. And they unpack that belief or self-concept identities that they're struggling with. They deal with that first because they know if they deal with the core, the behavior will follow. If you're sinning as a Christian, it's not about trying harder. It's about believing the right thing and having the right heart and the actions will follow. Now, that's not, I'm not saying, well, that Michael said it's okay for me to sin. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is true, true change will come when you believe the truth. The truth about God, the truth of his word, the truth of what he has done for you. Uh, and we see this pattern uh, in the New Testament. Um, Zacchaeus is the perfect example of this. He met Jesus and then he changed his actions. Uh, Peter belonged and then he believed. And he didn't actually quite get the whole behavior thing until uh, after Jesus had died uh, and come again. Let me push this one, one more way. Um, my kids love, oh, sorry, it's all about my kids. I'm a dad, can you tell? Um, <laughs> My, ki- my kids love Kung Fu Panda and, and <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Um, and they also love Ninja Warrior. And, and as a parent, I'm really reluctant to show my kids these things because I know what's going to happen. I know that after watching Kung Fu uh, Panda, they're going to try and roundhouse kick each other in the head um, and it's going to end up in tears and possibly a trip to the emergency ward, um, hypothetically. Uh, so, so I know that that's going to happen. Personally, I'd much rather than watch Dora because after Dora, they're fine. Bar- Barbie, Mermaid's Tale, my little girl Grace loves Barbie. Yeah, I'd watch that too. Don't watch Ninja Warrior. Like they're literally, they're jumping from one couch to the other. The floor is lava. The floor is lava. The floor's not lava. <laughs> See, what has happened is they have watched something and taken something in and it has changed their behavior. Yeah. And, and you might say, well, Michael, that's just for kids. Um, well, I was speaking mainly to the blokes in the room. If you've ever gone to a Fast and Furious movie, you know that it ain't just kids, right? <laughs> like, so on the way to the cinema, you're like, do, 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 do. You're just driving along peacefully, listening to AM radio, and you get to the station and I get to the cinema. But on the way home after wa- watching Fast and Fury 8, uh, after watching Vin Diesel smash a car for two hours, you're like, there's heavy metal blazing, you're like, yang, yang, yang. And like there's a red light and the grandma next to you and old B.W. Oh, I got you, grandma! (laughs) I'm not a bad driver, but I'm not allowed to drive after Fast and Furious movies. See, that's because we've taken in something and that has changed our action. Well, if we want the right things out, we need to put the right things in. And that means opening up the Bible more than just on Sunday. It means getting the truth into our lives in whatever form that is so that we can combat the lies that Satan wants to steal us from, for the destiny that he wants to steal us from, the lies that he wants to allow us to embrace. And that's how we're going to deal with our sin. 
by dealing with the inside, then we're going to deal with the outside. So I want to go slightly deeper on this uh, because I only got one chance to talk to you guys. So I'm dumping everything at you and I apologize for that, but I kind of don't. Um, So let's push this idea through one more bit and that is Bible reading, yeah? So how then are you actually going to do this? If I need to take the right things in to get the right things out, then I need to get my word open. Well, how do I develop a daily habit of reading the Bible? I want to suggest three things, a time, a place, and a method. Now, if I uh, have had a friend in high school, um, and if I don't continue to meet him or or see him, we get really distant. And then I might meet him once a year at a conference, but otherwise uh, the relationship kind of falls apart, yeah? And the only way that I know he's engaged or has a kid is because of Facebook. The relationship has deteriorated because we gave him no time. Well, the same thing is with God. We must give him time. And then you need to figure out, well, okay, what's the best time for me to read the Bible? Best time for me to pray? Uh, Some of you, it'll be in the morning. Some some of you will be on your train trip to work. Some of you will be late at night when everything's done and dusted. Um, I'm not a morning person. I can't get up at 5 a.m. to to, um, read my Bible. That's just not me. And it's not a sin that that's not me. But I still need to find the right time, yeah? It doesn't mean that I don't read. Well, I can't be a a good Christian because I'm not a morning person. That doesn't work like that. I've got to find the time that works for me. And then I need to find a place. Um, I used to try and do my Bible study times in front of the laptop. And so I'd like be reading James 1 and then suddenly I'm Googling what movies are coming out on Thursday night. Um, It was really distracting and so I had to not do that. Uh, You need to find a place in your house or a place on your way to work or a place at work in your lunch break or a place somewhere where you can read the Bible deep and not be distracted. And then you need to find a method that works for you. Uh, my mum, uh, she does this thing where um, she, when she does Bible studying, she d- takes up the whole dining room table. She like puts paper and paper and verses and all here and she's got one version of the Bible and another version of the Bible and she'll go over here and she'll go over there and, and that's how she reads the Bible. And that's great. Go mum. Oh, there's no issues with that. It ain't the way that I read my Bible. Um, I read my Bible on the Kindle and then I make bookmarks and I make comments and I highlight and that's how I do it. Um, but that doesn't mean that's how you do it. There are so many different ways that you can read the Bible. Um, you can read the Bible chronologically. You can get, uh, read the Bible through in one year. Um, you can get daily devotional books that can help you read the Bible. You can get Bible U uh, version on apps uh, on your phone, who, which prompts you to read certain passages. You can follow plans, not follow plans. You can read the whole Bible, read just a chunk. I would encourage you not to read the three same books over and over again. That's going to limit your growth. Um, But find a method that works for you. And if you do this, if you find a time, a place and a method, then you are more likely to develop a daily habitual Bible reading. Um, J.C. Ryle uh, put it this way, Prayer and sinning will never live together in the same heart. Prayer will consume sin or sin will choke prayer. And Bible reading is a part of that. We must focus on the inside before we focus on the outside. And to do otherwise is upside down. What does that mean for you? In what way do you try and play the Christian game? In what way do you try and present all good, but inside you know you're far from God? How 
Many times have you been struggling with a sin by scrubbing uh, with the gumption on the outside of the computer screen. Is that worked for you so far? Maybe instead you go back to God and try and understand the lies that you are believing about that particular area, going to the root of the problem before trying to deal with the symptom. What does this look like for you? Is your heart right with God? Do you believe the truth? For a Christian life emanates from within. It's not something we put on the top. It flows up as we have a true understanding of God and what he has done for us. So I'll say it one last time. Inside, before the outside, anything else is upside down. Let me pray for you. Oh, Lord, I praise you for this church. You're doing something great here, and it's fantastic to see and be a part of it today. Lord, I pray that you will convict us and challenge us. Show us the ways that we are trying to present the image without living the life, that we are trying to uh, do the presentation without having the heart and trying to present like we are holier than what we actually are. Lord, convict us of this, we pray. And Lord, I pray that you will change our hearts, that you enable us to live completely and 100% for you in every way of our life, that our Christian life will emanate from within, bubbling up because of a true understanding and, and belief of what you have done for us. May it never be a show. May it never be nice clothes, Lord, that we have put on the top of a stinking corpse. Lord, help us. Help us. We can't do this without you. We can't. We're scrubbing at an ant on a screen. We can't, Lord, change us. Help us to do deal with those sins that we have been struggling with, with for so long. Enable us to identify the lies that we have believed from the devil. Lord, show us. And Lord, I pray for every single person in this room that you enable them to develop a habitual daily Bible reading of getting the good news in. For Lord, we know that that is how to get the good stuff out. And we know that this is only from you. Lord, you are a great, mighty, powerful God. Nothing happens without you. And so we ask that you'll come into our lives and you'll clean us out. And you'll change our inside so that our outside might be true. Lord, give us the ability to do that which we cannot do by ourselves. And get us closer to you as a result. In your name.